I'm excited about today. And we are in our eighth week of this series that words matter. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a really like um, these terms and these words that uh, Dustin's been kind of walking us through. I'm reading the Bible like in a whole new way, like it's been illuminated in a different way. And so I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, I'm sure you guys have as well. I've heard many of you talking about it. And so today um, I'm going into our, our next, our eighth word, and uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to share it with you. Um, so our eighth word is lost, lost. And um, we use this, this word kind of in our Christian world in a certain way, and uh, I'm wanting to kind of help maybe break this down and, and open our eyes to maybe there's more to this term used in the Bible, lost, that hopefully I can unveil for us. So um, we're going to go to the chapter of uh, Luke, book of Luke, chapter 15. And if you thought that we were going to talk about the lost sheep and the lost son, the prodigal son, you are wrong. No, I'm kidding. That's exactly what we're talking about. Um, so you, you may have very well heard this parable, this story, uh, but uh, many of you may have haven't. And, and so we're going to walk through this together. We're starting in verse 11, and um, I'm going to read through this parable pretty quickly um, because there's quite a bit to it. But can you guys, can we bring up the lights a little bit just so I can make sure like people aren't snoring on me? Uh, just, I like to see you. And, um, and give you just a look if you start dozing. Up. No. <laughs> um, but there is quite a bit of, of scripture to get through here. So I'm going to cruise through this pretty quick. And um, it starts at verse 11. It says, Jesus continued. He just got done going through two prior parables that we're going to circle back around on and touch as well. But Jesus goes on to say, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He was living it up. He, he, was, he was doing his thing, all right? Living wild. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He was so hungry that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then the son said to him, 
Father, I, I've sinned against you, heaven, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father kind of cut him off. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father killed the fattened calf because he has come back to him safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out, pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Never, not once, but disobeyed your orders. We kid ourselves sometimes. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed that fattened calf for him. My son, father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Before we go any further, can you guys pray with me so we can kind of get in the right mind? Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you've already done here today. And Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. And I pray that you would speak today. Uh, I, I, I just, I wanna get out of the way of what you have in store today, that you would just simply speak through me and that you would be able to speak to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So like I said, lost is kind of a term used in, in the Christian world that represents someone that hasn't recognized Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They haven't accepted his, his free gift of salvation. But to be honest with y'all, growing up, I, I kind of noticed this term used uh, a little loosely. It, it was kind of used in a, almost a demeaning kind of way. I would hear things like, oh yeah, so-and-so is just lost. They've fallen off the deep end. They're, they're, they're living it out. They're crazy. They're wild, <laughs> like the young brother. That's, that's you know, I've, I grew up in church my whole life, so I would hear these things growing up where, oh yeah, they just, they can't help themselves. They're lost. Poor souls. Poor, poor little, <laughs> poor souls. They're just lost. And, and that's how, it came across to me. But I'm hoping today we can unveil a little bit more to this term lost. 
I think Jesus has more to share through these parables than what you and I have maybe heard up to this point. The common teachings of these scriptures. So let's, let's set the context and let's go to the beginning of chapter 15 and let's go all the way up to verse one and let's start there. Let's set the context of what's going on here. And so when we go to verse one, we read that now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That's a beautiful thing, right? These, these sinners, these tax collectors, collectors that know that their past is messed up, it's jacked up, they've made some dumb decisions and, and they've done all this, they've got this past, but they're sitting at the feet of Jesus, they've hum humbled themselves and now they're following him. It's a beautiful picture of, of what Jesus wants, what we want, right? Verse two goes on to say though, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees, we've talked about it many times here, but if you're new here, uh, the Pharisees are, uh, they were the religious elite. These are the guys that like knew scripture. They, they memorized the scriptures, the law that God had given them in the Old Testament. And so these guys, like they knew their stuff. They were the ones that kind of were the guide rails for the community to know what was right, what was of the law. And so here they come into the picture and they kind of get on their moral high ground and they look down at Jesus and they look down at these tax collectors and they, these sinners. I can't even believe he would be, I can't even believe he would be eating with them. These sinners, these, ta these traitors, you know, that's kind of the context that Jesus comes into when he starts telling these parables. That is what Jesus is addressing through these parables. So then we go into the first parable. This is the parable of the lost sheep. So Jesus goes into the parable, verse four, he says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until it's found? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home he calls his friends and neighbors together, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, over one tax collector who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Over 99 righteous Pharisees and teachers of the law who don't even need to repent. He goes on to the next parable, parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin." In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, often we hear this, this story uh, as Christians, we are taught that the coin and the sheep 
represent these sinners, these tax collectors, these, these people that have these, make these bad decisions, make these bad choices, that live this selfish life and they're lost, right? If, you, if you're with me, can you nod a little bit? You guys know I like to make sure you're with me. So the coin and the sheep represent these lost people. And the shepherd and the woman represent God. Have you been taught that? Right? That's been how we've been taught this many, many times. And when the items are found, it's interpreted that these lost people are now saved from these bad, selfish decisions that they have been making. But I want to throw a different perspective at you, a different perspective. See, the coins, they don't sin. They're a, a neutrally immoral, I mean, they're, they're, they morally are neutral, right? They're, they're just, it's an object. It's a coin. It didn't do anything wrong to be lost. The shepherd didn't get onto the sheep for running away, did he? He didn't get, he didn't get onto them for misbehaving and, and running away. Oh, you silly sheep. No, the this, this sheep didn't sin. Rather, the shepherd lost the sheep. The shepherd lost the sheep. The lostness doesn't seem to be the items or the objects' fault at all. So maybe, just maybe, we are to be the shepherd and we are to be the woman. The shepherd lost the sheep, and sheep sheep's need shepherds, right? The woman lost the coin. It didn't lose itself unless you ask Roman, you know, like all of a sudden everything's lost. He didn't have a part in it at all. But it, she lost the coin. So what if we are to be the shepherd and what if we are to be the woman where we are to look at our community and we are to take ownership of our community, where we look around and we look at our brothers and sisters and we see someone struggling and we take the ownership and we reach out. So that as someone may be wandering a little bit, that you would be the shepherd and you would see him and you would just kind of be there for him and you would connect with them and you would make sure they stay connected because we all need community. See, when things start to get tough and things, we start to struggle a little bit, our, our nature is to kind of isolate and, and wander off because we, we may be embarrassed of it, right? When the very thing we need is to stay connected we need to stay within our community. So what if we are to take ownership of that and we are to be the shepherd and the woman? So just a different thought. Jesus calls us to be the shepherd who places the value on one. He, we place the value on the one. The one that, that needs, that knows that they, they uh, want to follow him, but they're just wandering a bit. 
and we would value, value that one. So anyway, just a thought. But moving on, uh, so Jesus gets done with these couple parables, and now we're going into the third one. We're going into the parable of the lost son. Now, he just set up the coin and the sheep, and they're very similar stories, similar parables, and the prodigal son starts very similarly. But this third parable has two acts to it. The first act lines up, and it, it seems to be lining up just with the other two. The younger son is lost. He, he goes, he spends everything that his father had given him. He went to his father, said, I want my inheritance. I want it now. He, he gets hold of it. He goes and spends it. He lives it up. All this selfish, stupid things that he was doing just for his own self-gratification. But he decides to come back home. He humbles himself, comes back home. His father lovingly accepts him. He forgives him. He throws him a big old massive party. He throws the best steak on the grill, and here we go. It's this beautiful story of son being reconciled to his father, and his father showing this beautiful grace. See, the tax collectors and the sinners sitting there, I, could, I would imagine that they're sitting there and probably tears are running down their face because... They, they are relating with this younger brother. This younger brother, they know, man, I've got a screwed up past too. I, I've got this screwed up past too, but this Jesus is telling me that there seems to be a second chance, that, that there's this hope. So I would imagine they're sitting there, just tears rolling down their face. And it seems like this would be a great place for the story to end, and we have this happy ending, right? It's just this perfect, happy ending. After all, the sheep was found, and they rejoiced and celebrated. The coin was found, and they were celebrated. But Jesus then moves us into Act 2, where he introduces a new character. He introduces the older brother, the older son. The brother hears this party going on. He's wondering what's going on. The servant tells him that your brother's back. He's back. He's safe. Your dad is ecstatic. We're having a party. We're celebrating. You would think a, a brother's response would be like, bro's back. Like, let's go. Let's celebrate. Steak's on the grill. And instead, we read, and Jesus tells us that this older brother becomes irate. He gets upset. He's all in his feelings, and he's all upset. He refuses to go into the home. He refuses to go into the feast. He refuses to go to the party. His father comes out. Come on, son. Please, just come on in. He refuses. He refuses to even associate himself with his family. If you noticed, he said, that son of yours. He's not even claiming him. He's, he's like refusing to associate even himself as part of the family. See, back in those days, it wasn't common to have meat for dinner. 
because it was expensive. Now, nowadays, if there ain't meat on my plate, I'm like, does this even count? You know, it's like, <laughs> I see many of you agreeing with <laughs> You guys shout, shout me down on that one. Uh, amen, brother. So, you know, we, we are used to that. That's, that is common here. In that day, it wasn't common. It was, it was too expensive to have meat for every meal. And the most expensive delicacy, the most expensive meat of them all is the fattened calf. Not only that, dad has invited the whole village to party. So not only have we forked it out on this most expensive meat, we've done it for the whole village. The older brother is furious about the cost of this party. His dad is clearly pumped up, ecstatic that his son is back. He's overjoyed that his son has returned. But the brother doesn't seem to care about his dad or where his dad's heart is. He just cares that his inheritance is being spent. And his inheritance isn't being spent on him. He's upset about his father's things, not his father's heart. He said, you didn't even give me a, a young goat. Me, 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 me. <laughs> I mean, you, as we were reading that, just, me, me, what about me? The father goes on to tell him, hey, everything I have is yours, which is true. He already gave the inheritance to the younger brother, and he already blew it all. So all that is left of the father's is his, is the older son's. And he is bent out of shape because he is seeing his stuff, his inheritance, diminishing right in front of his eyes. And it's not on him. So the older son has his father out, out of the feast, out of the party, He's ecstatic that his son's back, but yet he's got to worry about his older son now who's pouting in the field. And he's got to go out and try to pull him back in. And the father is saying, hey, I know you're not in the right place right now. I know you got the wrong attitude, the wrong mentality. Your heart disposition is in the wrong place. But he pleaded with him and he said, I still want you at the feast. Just come. Please, son, just, just come in the house. Let's feast. I still want you in the feast. In the first act, we see the traditional depiction of sin, where the younger son, he comes into the picture. He asks for inherit his inheritance before dad's even passed away. He's asked for it. He's insulted his father, lover of prostitutes. He's self-indulgent. He wants to just do what he wants to do selfishly. In the second act, we see the older son, the, the good son, the, the one that obeyed, the one that did the things that he was supposed to do, just like the Pharisees doing the, following the law and obeying the law and doing what they are supposed to do. See, we see that both 
the younger son and the older son just want the father's things. Both of them. They don't want the heart of his father. One, one son, he tries to get the father's things by being bad and breaking the rules and, and breaking the laws and disobeying. The other one tries to get the things by doing good. He said, Father, I've never disobeyed you. They are both lost. Neither one has a relationship. Both were alienated. And to be honest with you guys, I think a lot of Christians can relate with the older brother than the younger. You say, God, I've tried, I, I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do the, I, I try to pray. You know, I, I try to read the Bible. I go to church. I, I serve. You know, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. So you, you owe it to me to give me this, like a good life. Like you owe it to me to, to answer my prayers. I, I'm, I'm doing good. Like I'm, I'm good. If that's the language of your heart, Jesus, he's just your model. He's just your example. He's, he's maybe even your boss. But he's not your savior. You are trying to be your own savior. You're trying to live by the law still. And if you have the older brother mentality and you don't get your stuff and you don't get your way and you don't get your things, you get angry. Where are you, God? But gospel-believing Christians obey God just to get God, just to resemble him, to love him, to know him, to delight in him. Lord, help us Help us to ensure that we've got the right thing, the right thing. Help us, Lord, to ensure that regardless of who we're relating to in this story, that, that we humble ourselves and we look to you, our Savior. See, the, the way this story ends is kind of crazy. The younger son we know goes off. He lives it up, clearly does wrong, but he does exactly that. He repents, he humbles himself, he comes back, he's in the feast, he is now found, he is saved. But the other older brother, the good one, the one that kept the moral rules, that obeyed, at the end of the story, he is still lost. It just ends. He's still out in the field, lost. Jesus seems to be saying, be careful when you assume others are lost and you're not. Jesus teaches that some people are lost and need to be found. Other people are lost but assume they are found. And Jesus tells us that the second one is worse because he said back in, in verse 7, I tell you, the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who do not repent. 
See, the Pharisees had a different experience sitting here listening to these parables. You know, the, the, the sinners and the tax collectors, these bad people are sitting here, probably tears rolling down their face. And on the other hand, the Pharisees are livid. They're, they are upset just like the older son. They are hot because they know exactly what Jesus is saying here in this moment. You're telling me the lover of the prostitutes is the one that gets saved? But the, the good one, the good man, is the one that's lost? Crazy. Total shift, total twist, total plot shift. Jesus seemed to do that a lot, didn't he? <laughs> See, we, we know the way to be saved is to, to repent of our sins, but sometimes Jesus will also show us that we may even need to repent for any good that we have done as well. What is our heart disposition? Most people think, God wants good people. They've got their act together. But no, God just wants people that humble themselves, that know they need a savior, that, that commit to him and give their life to him. They're all in on him. He is my number one in everything that I've got, that who I am, everything, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my heart, everything, I'm all in. That's what. Jesus wants. So regardless of if you relate with the, the younger son or the older son, regardless of your past, Jesus died for your sins. Regardless. Regardless of which one you relate to, Jesus died for your sins. And good news, he rose again in three days. And the same power that allowed him to, to raise from the grave is now available to us. He just wants you and I to humble ourselves, to come to him and give all we've got to him.